Reading Limitless Love, April the 6th and 7th. Gloria Copeland. The details make the difference. Finally, be you all of one mind, having compassion one another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessings, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Our idea of love and God's idea of love are often very different. We may think that as long as we don't hit anyone or steal anything major, we're walking in love. God, however, isn't satisfied with that. He wants us to be loving in our everyday interactions. He wants us to love, to affect even the details of our lives. That's why he tells us in 1 Corinthians 13.5, the Amplified Bible, that love isn't rude or unmanly, unmannerly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. Does not, Emily Post talking. It's not mismanners giving us a suggestion we can ignore. It's God speaking to us from the Bible and requiring us to be courteous towards one another. It is God commanding us not to be rude. Even when we're in a restaurant and the service is bad, even when the telephone solicitor calls during a dinner, even when we desperately want some peace and quiet and the neighbor's are parting loudly next door. We are not allowed to be rude. We can say something in those situations if necessary. We can point out the problems and make courteous requests, but um, doing so, we must make sure that we do it kindly and in love. We aren't allowed to make excuses either. We can't say, I know I was mean, so that waitress, but I was so irritated I couldn't help myself. That kind of reasoning just won't fly. If your boss irritated you, you you wouldn't act that way. You wouldn't say, hey, you jerk, this memo is full of errors, get it off my desk. No, irritated or not, you're, be nice to your boss. You be courteous because it might cost you your job to be one way, any other way. That proves you can control your reactions. You, We must put the same kind of thinking to work in the rest of our lives. We must realize that when we're discourteous to those around us, it costs us dearly. It costs us to our Christian witness. Who wants to hear about the love of God from someone who has been unkind to them? It costs us the opportunity to brighten someone else's day. Most important of all, it costs us the privilege of pleasing the Lord. Keep that in mind the next time some little thing goes wrong and you're tempted to be rude. Don't be deceived into thinking such small unkindness go unnoticed by the Lord when it comes to love. God is interested in the details because in the day-to-day living, it's the details that make the difference. I'm Fernando. I don't know about you, but it just seems a little a little too much to be so... Uh, you know, that you can't uh, speak the truth with enthusiasm, humor, and joy. And, uh, you know, trying to put so much brakes on your, in, on your soul, it's not living. 
That's not living. You know, you can't do much, do anything, you're going to hurt somebody. You know, people are going to get hurt anyway. People, some people, you know, to be happy, uh, enthusiastic, and in love with God. And that's primary reason. We should be, we should be okay, you know, talking with others and raising things out. We know how to act. Here we go. Our next one's April 7th. When your enemies stumble. A righteous mouth falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy fails, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, or the Lord will see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from him. Proverbs 24, 16, 18. If we're walking in love, we will never gloat over anyone's failure, not even the failures and wicked and sinful people. We won't smile with satisfaction when we heard that the person was broke up the best friend's marriage is now going through a divorce. When corrupt politicians stumble and fall, we won't be among those who make jokes about them. Even when criminals and terrorists who have brought us or our nation serious harm finally meet their destruction, love will keep us from rejoicing. We all need to remember that because those things are going to happen. The Bible makes it clear that the wicked always meet a bad end. Everyone who insists on living on sin ignores the warnings of God will eventually be overtaken by calamity. Psalm 73 says, Of the Lord thou didst see them, the wicked, and set them up in slippery places. Thou couldst them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? In a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. When those terrors come, however, 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says that the love does not rejoice. It does not celebrate our enemy's defeat. On the contrary, it will cause us to pray for them and say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Isn't that what Jesus did? He had compassion on those who crucified him. He knew they were to rule by the by the darkness, even though they had willingly allowed themselves to be the instruments of evil. Jesus still forgave them. That's just the way God is. Even when we mistreat him, even when we talk badly about him, if we'll repent, he'll forgive us and hold nothing against us. He'll have mercy upon us by letting us receive his son as our Savior so we can have a whole new life. As God's children will be the same way. We're to have mercy upon the wicked until their vent last breath. When we see them reaping the, the tragic fruit of their ways, we should ask God to grant them a spirit of repentance so that they might escape from the devil's snare. Who knows how many such requests have been uttered and answered? Who knows now many wicked men in the final seconds of life have called on the name of the Lord and been saved because some saint of God chose the way, love and pray. Well, the Bible tells us to rejoice ahead of time in some situation that God has it. Isn't that a rejoicing for a victory ahead of time? Didn't the Israelites uh, rejoice when they 
shouted up against uh, Jericho, you know, rejoicing ahead of time and to be enthusiastic, even that you have enemies, and that God is going to take care of your enemies, rejoicing that says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, you know, that God's got it, Jesus has it, we turn everything over to Jesus, and we rejoice when that situation, person, place is in Jesus' hands, and we leave it there, and we're rejoicing, and we're rejoicing. I remember one time uh, I prayed for this one truck driver, and uh, we were having differences. I don't know. I told him to get back into going to meetings and get back into serving God. And he, and he said, oh, I did that 15 years ago and stuff. I was really involved and so forth. And while he was there, I, I, I kind of kicked him in the tail and the butt. I said, Johnny, you know, seek the Lord. And uh, he, the guy was just going to go do some, uh, some plumbing work at his house. He had pulled a lot of money. I met him at the parking lot. I just happened to be reading my Bible, and he came out. Another truck driver. We were both truck driving from the same company. And uh, he said he had a cesspool to go do and reconnect it or something. But I don't know. I guess I put a, a bad taste in his butt when I kicked him. I didn't kick him hard, you know, just slap him. And I said, hey, serve the Lord, Johnny. I don't know what happened at his job. I don't know if the cesspool busted the pipe right in his face and the whole job went berserk, but... He was fit to be tied about 30 days later after I saw him because there's about 400 truck drivers coming in and out in the facility. When I did finally see him around 1.30, 2 in the morning at the job site, oh, man, he was fit to be tied. I had to tell him, okay, Johnny, let's go out to the railroads and finish this off and stop yelling in front of all the, the, the staff here, the, the dispatchers and so forth, you know. And uh, he didn't want to go. So anyway, I I got so uh, mad and angry. I don't care about this job. I let my beard grow. And I didn't shave. And, uh, and then we're getting... Uh, I try to confront him out in the yard. And he just swings his truck real close to me. Like he wants to run over me when I'm walking. Truck and trailer. Anyway, make a long story even longer. Um, I, I understand that 552 says that for us to get on our knees and pray for that person, for their happiness, for their soul, for their soul to be healthy, to prosperous, and be have happiness. So I finally did. I just got done and started praying for him. That's a form of turning it over. I just surrendered and got on my knees and started praying for the person. Started praying. I, Christian, did the right thing, which a son of God acts like the father, right? So I started interceding and praying for him. And finally, I forgot about it. I turned it over, you know, uh, that anger left and everything, and I just grounded it, the problem. And then about another 30 days later, I'm going home, been a long ride delivering bread and working nice and just totally tired, 13, 14-hour days. I got my backpack, I'm going home, and another truck driver's walking with me, and we're going to our cars, and he tells me, hey, they fired somebody today. And I said, yeah, who? Johnny. And I said, they fired Johnny? He lost a 65, 
at that time was $65,000. That was a lot of money back in the 1998-97. That's over 25 years ago, I guess. Anyway, make a long story even longer. Um, I don't know what happened to him. And I'm thinking, wow. Oh, the reason he got fired is because he had rode up one of the trucks to fix it. And he rode in there, fixed the effing truck. And, he, and then he said, no, that's not me. I didn't write that, he told the company. The company did a word analysis, and they had to certify that, yeah, that's his writing. And they caught him for lying. I guess they had he had a bunch of records and stuff. You know, and they fired him there. And then uh, it happened again with another truck driver, another place, another facility. And I, I knew what to do, so I got on my knees and I started praying. This time it took less time, only took nine days of praying. Then I saw, God showed me, like a light came from the east, from the sky towards the work site. And God showed me how, how much he loves his that man, that child of his, that lost child. Boom, I saw the love of God hit that man. And after that, I went up to him and I shook my hands and he smiled and I smiled. And it felt like water was spilled in the ground. Like there was no kind of hatred, not on his part, not on my part. And um, the guy had no teeth and he looked like he was a beer brawler and that's the way he acted all the time. So I just reacted to his acting and and then I'm the I'm the Christian. I'm the one with program. I'm the one who understands more, and so, and it's going to happen again. So I need to be ready, and it's happening. We always have confronting enemies, and we have to pray for their souls that Jesus will sprinkle their blood on their souls. We sprinkle them with health. We pray that they will have health. We sprinkle their souls with prosperity with the blood of Jesus, and we sprinkle their souls with happiness with the blood of Jesus. May they prosper. See, even if they have calamity, after we've been praying a long time, we're not going to react to it. We're just going to continue to go. We have surrendered the person completely, so we don't have any kind of reaction, either if the person wins or loses in life. It's not up to us. It's out of our hands. And that's the way it happened when I responded with that first truck driver. I didn't, there was no reaction in me then when he got fired. I didn't rejoice. I didn't, I didn't just, it was just like he was saying, oh, the weather is, is stormy today. I said, oh, okay. And so God's ways is the best way. And we all got old resentments. So old resentments, in order to get an old resentment that's embedded and is stuck and is not allowing us to live life fully, we start thanking God for that resentment, and God will send you a brand new resentment. Ain't that great? He'll send you a new resentment so you can get that old resentment out. So, okay, here we go again. Here comes a brand new resentment. So you got to pray for that person for 14 days. Get on your knees, and we pray for their souls. What do we do this? Why don't we go ahead and pray for our enemies? Pick uh, one or two, up to six up to 14 enemies. Let's say, for instance, all our enemies we ever com confronted in our lives, all the way back to childhood. And let's go, oh Lord, we ask you to, pr we pray, and we ask you to bless every enemy, bless our souls with health in Jesus' name. Bless, 
bless their souls with prosperity and happiness, Lord. We just give our enemies to you, Lord, that you may prosper them, give them good health, and that they be enthusiastic in their lives, that they be well with their employer, well with communications and in communion with you, God, and that we devote them to you. We pray for their, Lord, their connection with the Father in heaven, that it be at peace, Lord. We intercede for them. Bless our enemies in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's the way we do things around here. We love, we pray for them and work it into the heavens so it'll never, it won't bother us again. It's a done deal. We have turned it over. We, anyway, God bless you. Have a great time. Give them heaven and say, Jesus is Lord. Amen and amen. Yes, yes, yes. Limitless Love, April 1st, a legacy that is worthy of the Lord. By this, all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, John thirteen thirty five. What is your single greatest ambition in life? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus tarries and you live out your days, what legacy will you leave behind? How will you be remembered? It seems many people in Christian circles these days are eager to be remembered as spiritual giants of faith and power. Others want to succeed financially and give great sums of money into the kingdom of God. Some relish the idea of having a reputation as a great teacher or a theologian who will be quoted for years to come. All those things are good, I suppose. But I can't help wondering what kind of impact we as believers would have on the world if we all made it our primary ambition, our life's greatest quest to be the most loving people the world has ever known. What would happen if our single highest aim was simple to love one another? I can tell you what would happen. The world would finally know we are truly the disciples of Jesus. They would at last see and recognize him in us. The world is absolutely starving for that kind of love. It's the only cure for the rejection and insecurity that plagues their lives. It's the only remedy for the, of the depression and oppression they live with every day. Granted, they are looking for it in all the wrong places, but even so, they are looking for it. Imagine what happened if they suddenly began to see it in us. I once read the story of a missionary in China who lived a life of such love and self-sacrifice that it softened the hardest hearts around her, even men whose lives had been steeped in sin and cruelty, whose hearts were stubborn and scornful of the things of God, were won by the influence of this woman's kind and gentle way. Although she was just one small woman, by the time her life was through, she had reaped a great harvest of souls for the Lord. And most remarkable of all, the Chinese had nicknamed her the one who loves. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the people of the world called the church in the days to come? Wouldn't it be great if instead of referring to us as right-wingers or conservatives, fine as those titles might be, they began to refer us the one who loves. Truly, that would be the greatest legacy that would ever leave the only one that is really worthy of our Lord. You know, the other legacy could be is the one who laughs, the one who has humor and enjoys life. Amen. Same thing, isn't it? 
April the 2nd, Limitless Love, Gloria Copeland, a new kind of selfishness. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 12. As believers, we ought to walk in love just because God commands us to. We should do it simply because we want to be a blessing to him and to his children. But the fact is, even if we didn't love the Lord, for the Lord's sake, we should do it for our own sake. Because when we walk in love, we enjoy our lives far more than when we don't. We're happier and we have better days when we live a life of love. Extending love to others so enhances our own joy and well-being that one Christian writer calls it a new kind of selfishness. Think about the ordinary events of life for a moment and you'll quickly see why when you're in line at the grocery store, for instance, and the clerk at the checkout counter is especially slow. If you choose to be irritable and impatient instead of loving and kind, you won't be happy. On the contrary, you'll become increasingly miserable as the minutes tick by all your fussing and fuming won't change the situation at all. It will make the clerk one bit faster. I know it because I tried it. It won't get you out of the store one second sooner. It will just rob you of your peace and joy while you're there. So even from a selfish perspective, what is better? To give up your happiness and get in strife with a store employee you don't even know? and who is probably doing the best job he can, or to relax and let love rule your heart. Will you feel better when you walk out of the store knowing you snapped at the clerk and gave him a piece of your mind, or that you chose instead to smile and speak an encouraging word? The answer is obvious. No one ever feels blessed when they step out, in out of love. You'll never say, hey, I had a great day today. I got so mad and talked so ugly that it made me feel happy inside. No, that wouldn't be a great day. That would be a bummer. Once you let the anger and strife get hold of you, it will cost a shadow over everything else you did. By the time you wanted to bed that night, you'll probably be on edge with everybody. You'll be complaining about what a terrible day it had been. If you really want to enjoy life and see good days, the only way to do it is to work in love. Love not only pleases God and spreads the blessing to others, it makes you happy too. Surely, it's the best kind of selfishness there is. April the 3rd. Stay connected to the Spirit. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelt with you and shall be in you. John fourteen fifteen and 17. We'll never experience any real success in life without the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who communicates to us the will of God for our lives. He's the one who shows us the path that will lead to our divine destiny. The Amplified Bible calls him our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our intercessor, 
our advocate, our strengthener, and our standby. Jesus said he is the one who will teach us all things. John 14, 26. If we encounter a problem, it is the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom so we know what to do. If we find ourselves ensnared in some kind of trouble, he reveals the truth that will make us free. When we're weak, he strengthens us. When we see what to do, when we see what to do but can't do it in our own, he takes hold together with us and helps us. The more attuned we are to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the more we are led by him, the more victory we'll experience in our lives. That's one reason we must so earnestly endeavor to continually walk in love. Love puts us in position to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In John 14 through 16, when Jesus gave his final instructions to his disciples before he went to the cross, we see the command of love mentioned repeatedly throughout the Lord's teaching on the Holy Spirit. Clearly, there is a connection between the two. Since the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, when we step out of love, we are stepping out of his flow. We are interrupting our connection with him. When we disobey the command of love, he is hindered in his ministry to us. We simply can't afford to let that happen. We need the Holy Spirit helps too much. We need him to help us meet the need of our families. We need him to help us plan our schedules and deal wisely with the challenges we face every day. We need him to constantly guide us so we can avoid the traps and snares of the devil. That's why we must do what it takes to keep our ears open to his voice, our hearts sensitive to his leadings, and ourselves in position to be controlled by him. That's why we must be diligent to live a life of love. April the 4th. The blessing line is moving. Gloria Copeland. When Peter opened his mouth and said, Oh, said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 35. Again, then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth perceive that God is not respecter of person, that is no respecter of person. But in every nation, he that feared him and worked righteousness is accepted with him. Acts 10, 34, 35. 35. People who depend on this world system for prosperity and promotion Instead, on the blessing and goodness of God, perpetually fall prey to envy and strife. If they see someone else prospering more than they are, they don't rejoice. They get mad. They may even connive and scheme ways to overturn that person's success. Like hungry kids in a cafeteria line, they push and shove each other out of the way so that they can get first place. It's really not surprising people act the way. After all, the world system just isn't fair. It favors the rich over the poor. It rewards the beautiful and ignores the plain. Worldly promotions don't always go to the faithful. They often go to those with the best social connection or the right family name. Worldly people who don't claw and stretch their way to the top may never get there at all. So that's what they do. <clears throat> they did it 
in Bible times, and they do it today. We see Genesis 37, that Joseph's brother actually threw him in a well and then sold him into slavery because they envied the blessing he was walking in. It made them mad that he was his father's favorite. They were jealous of the call of God in his life, so they tried to get rid of him and steal his place. Of course, in Joseph's case, those worldly tactics didn't work. Joseph kept depending on God, and despite his brother's actions to overthrow him, he just kept rising to the top. Instead of hindering his destiny, the wicked things they did actually served to help him along. That's always the way things work in the kingdom of God. If you just keep walking in love and depending on him, he'll see to it that you keep rising to the top. He'll take even the evil things people do to you and turn them to, do, to your good. When they throw hindrances in your path, God will turn them into stepping stones. That's because God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't show preference to those of, of a certain race, nationality, or family tree. The blessing is for everyone who loves him. It works to promote all those who faithfully serve him. As children of God, we are all standing in the same blessing line so we can fully enjoy each other's successes. We can walk in love and be free of jealousy, as one friend of mine says. God's blessing line is like a marvelous buffet. As we watch the people ahead of us carrying place piled high with food, we don't have to worry. We, don't, we know there's more than enough, and instead of envying them, their progress makes us happy. It means the line is moving and our turn is coming soon. April the 5th, Limitless Love. Persons, reason to be humble. James chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and verse 10. God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he, and he will flee from you. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God delights in blessings us. That's what he always wants to do. But if we stop walking in love and start struffling in pride, the blessings will stop working for our own good. Rather than promoting our success, the Bible says he actually starts resisting it because pride works contrary to God's ways. And if he must, he will let us fall and fail and fail again until we admit our own weakness and rid ourselves of pride. Personally, I don't ever want to want that to happen to me. I'd rather humble myself as the scripture commands and let God lift me up than lift myself up in pride to where I have to be brought down. Then I'd rather watch over my heart day by day to be sure that I am not being boastful or haughty according to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love is simply not that way. It's not conceited, it's not arrogant, and it is not puffed up with pride. Sometimes we jokingly say, hey, it's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. But all joking aside, God himself is the greatest there is. God himself 
is the greatest there is. <clears throat> there is, yet he is exceedingly humble. He's the creator of the universe, yet when we ask him for help, he's willing to attend to the smallest details of our lives. He is never too busy to listen. His fellowship with all who call on his name, kings and beggars alike, he alone has reason to be proud. Yet there isn't a shred of pride in him. If we want to enjoy his abundant blessings, we'll be the same way. When he begins to prosper us, we won't foolishly point to our successes and say, Look what I've done. We'll remember that it's God who gave us the power to get wealth. He is the true reason for our success. The fact is, most of the good he has done in our lives, he has done it in spite of us, not because of us. And if we're wise, we'll never let ourselves forget it. At times, you might be tempted to say, sure, God has prospered me, but I did the work. I studied hard. I went to school. I spent hundreds of hours practicing, planning, and developing my skills. Why shouldn't I take some other credit? Because God is the one who gave you the strength to work. He's the one who gave you the funds for school. The ability to study and the sense to develop the talents he gave you. You can yield to pride and take credit, but you'll lose his blessing in the process. And any way you look at it, that's a very poor exchange. Limitless Love, April the 3rd. Stay connected to the Spirit by Gloria Copeland. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. John 14, 15, and 17. We never experience any real success in life without the help of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who communicates to us the will of God for our lives. He's the one who shows us the path that will lead to our divine destiny. The Amplified Bible calls him our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our intercessor, our advocate, our strengthener, and our standby. Jesus said he is the one who will teach us all things, John 14, 26. If we encounter a problem, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us wisdom so we know what to do. If we find ourselves ensnared in some kind of trouble, he reveals the truth that will make us free. When we're weak, he strengthens us. When we see what to do but can't do it on our own, he takes hold together with us and helps us. The more attuned we are to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the more we are led by him, the more victory we'll experience in our lives. That's one reason we must so earnestly endeavor to continually walk in love. Love puts us in positions to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In John 14 through 16, 
where Jesus gave his final instructions to his disciples before he went to the cross, we see the command of love mentioned repeatedly throughout the Lord's teachings on the Holy Spirit. Clearly there is a connection between the two. Since the Holy Spirit is the spirit of love, when we step out of love, we are stepping out of his flow. We are interrupting our connection with him. When we disobey the command of love, he is in, hindered in his ministry to us. We simply can't afford to let this happen. We need the Holy Spirit's help too much. We need him to help us meet the needs of our families. We need him to help us plan our schedule and deal wisely with the challenges we face every day. We need him to constantly guide us so we can avoid the traps and snares of the devil. That's why we must do what it takes to keep our ears open to His voice, our hearts sensitive to His leading, and ourselves in position to be controlled by Him. That's why we must be diligent to live the life of love. Amen. April the 2nd, Limitless Love, Gloria Copeland, A New Kind of Selfishness. In 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12, the NIV. For whoever will love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As believers, we ought to walk in love just because God commands us to. We should do it simply because we want to be a blessing to Him and to His children. But the fact is, even if we didn't love for the Lord's sake, we should do it for our own sakes because when we walk in love, we enjoy our lives more than when we don't. We're happier and we have better days when we live a life of love. Extending love to others so enhances our own joy and well-being that one Christian writer calls it a new kind of selfishness. Think about the ordinary events of life for a moment and you'll quickly see why when you're in line at the grocery store, for instance, and the clerk at the checkout corner is especially slow, if you choose to be irritable and impatient instead of loving and kind, you won't be happy. On the contrary, you'll become increasingly miserable as the minutes tick by. All your fussing and fuming won't change the situation at all. It won't make the clerk one bit faster. I know because I tried it. It will get you out of the store one second sooner. It will just rob you of your pace and joy while you're there. So even from a selfish perspective, which is better, to give up your happiness and get in strife with a store employee? You don't even know, and who is probably doing the best job he can. Or to relax and let love rule your heart. While well, you feel better when you work, when you walk out of what the store knowing you snap at the clerk and give him a piece of your mind, or that you chose instead to smile and speak an encouraging word. The answer is obvious. No one ever feels blessed when they step out of love. 
You'll never say, hey, I had a great day today. I got so mad and talked so ugly that it made me feel happy inside. No, that would be a great day. That would be a bummer. <clears throat> Once you let that anger and strife get a hold of you, it will cast a shadow over everything else you did. By the time you went to bed that night, you'll probably be on edge with everybody. You'll be complaining about what a terrible day it has been. If you really want to enjoy life and see good days, the only way to do it is to walk in love. Love not only pleases God and spreads the blessings to others, it makes you happy too. Surely it's the best kind of selfishness there is. Amen. Amen. Walking in love requires for me to read 1 John 1 through 5 on a daily basis. I haven't done it for a while, but that's what love bubbles over when I read a lot or read a lot of scripture. Now for April the 1st, Gloria Copeland. A legacy that is worthy of the Lord. This is taken from John 13, verse 35, New American Standard Bible. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What is your single greatest ambition in life? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus tarries and you live out your days, what legacy will you leave behind? How will you be remembered? It seems many people in Christian circles these days are eager to be remembered as spiritual giants of faith and power. Others want to succeed financially and give great sums of money into the kingdom of God. Some relish the idea of having a reputation as a great teacher or theologian who will be quoted for years to come. All those things are good, I suppose, but I can't help wondering what kind of impact we as believers would have on the world if we all made our primary ambition, our life's greatest quest to be the most loving people the world has ever known. What would happen if our single highest aim was simply to love one another? I can tell you what would happen. The world would finally know we are truly the disciples of Jesus. They would at last see and recognize him in us. The world is absolutely starving for that kind of love. It's the only cure for the rejection and insecurity that plagues their lives. It's the only remedy for the depression and oppression they live with every day. Granted, they are looking for it in all the wrong places. Even so, they are looking for it. Imagine what would happen if they suddenly began to see it in us. I once read the story of a missionary in China who lived a life of such love and self-sacrifices that it softened the hardest heart around her. Even men whose lives had been steeped in sin and cruelty, whose hearts were stubborn and scornful at the things of God, were won by the influence of this woman's kind and gentle ways. Although she was just one small woman, by the time her life was through, she had reaped a great harvest of souls for the Lord, and most remarkable of all, the Chinese had nicknamed her the one who loves. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the people of the world called the church in the days to come? Wouldn't it be great instead of referring to us as right-wingers or conservatives, fine as those might be, they began to refer us as to the ones who love. Truly, that would be the greatest legacy that we could ever leave, the only one that is re really worthy of the Lord, the one who loves. If no one's told you they love you, you're the one who loves and I love you. Thank you for listening in today for these four readings from Gloria Copeland, Limitless Love. Limitless Love, March 25th and 26th by Gloria Copeland. Practice makes perfect. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth nor his brother. Neither he that loveth not his bro brother. Excuse me. You might assume that since love comes naturally to your reborn human spirit, you should be able to perfectly walk in love the moment you're born again. But if you ever tried it, you know that's not true. We learn to walk spiritually much the same way we learn to walk naturally. When we were toddlers, we were clumsy at first. We frequently tottered and fell, but we kept at it. We kept practicing and practicing and practicing until we got it right. Why? If our spirits are already made righteous and loving, do we have to practice so diligently to act that way? Because righteous behavior like love are foreign to our flesh. Before we gave our lives to the Lord, our flesh developed the habit of behaving in selfish, unloving ways. As a result, even when our reborn spirit indeed is willing to do the right, we in initially find that our flesh is weak. Matthew 26, 41. How do we overcome that weakness? By doing two things. First, we must feed and straighten our spirit by spending time with God in the Word and in prayer. Second, we must exercise it by stepping out in faith and practicing our love walk. When we stumble and fall, instead of being discouraged, we simply repent, receive forgiveness, then get up and get at it again. We keep on practicing until we get it right. If you think about it, that's the way we learn to do everything. We even learn to sin that way, even though we were born into this world as sinners with a fallen nature. Even though sin came naturally to us, we still had to practice to get good at it. If you were a smoker, for example, the first time you ever smoked a cigarette, you didn't like it. It made you sick. If you're like most people, you turned green and coughed, but you kept practicing until you could smoke a pack or two a day without even thinking about it. The first drink of alcohol a person has doesn't usually taste very good to them, but if they keep practicing, they'll develop a desire, possibly even a craving for it 
and they can end up drinking every day. <clears throat> Praise God that principle works in reverse too. Once we're born again and quit practicing sin, we lose the taste for it. Sinful things we once enjoyed don't even appeal to us anymore. Instead, we develop a desire to work in love, and though we may not do it well at first, as we keep practicing and practicing, we can be assured well enough to get it right. Walking in love. The next uh, March 26 is Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. For this cause I bow my knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. As sincere believers, we all long to see the presence and power of God manifest in our lives. We want to lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. We want to cast out demons and let the oppressed go free. We want to move supernaturally in the gift of the Spirit so that Jesus can bless others through us. As much as it possible, this side of heaven, we want to be filled with all the fullness of God. What's the key to walking in that kind of fullness? Ephesians 3 tells us it is knowing God's love, not just understanding it intellectually, not just being able to quote scriptures about it, but having our lives rooted and grounded in it, having a heartfelt comprehension of it that comes from experiencing it for ourselves. One reason love is so vital to operating in God's power is that it keeps us from sin. Just read the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 and you'll see that God's power and sin just don't mix. When he comes on the scene in fullness, sin has to go. And the person who is attached to that sin just might end up with it. When we walk in love, however, we're walking without sin. Love protects us from it. It's the insulator that enables God to move in power in us and through us without blowing us away. Love brings us to the place where God can manifest himself more fully in our lives. No wonder the Apostle Paul prayed that way he did for the Ephesians church. No wonder he continually bowed his knee before the Father and our Lord and asked him to strengthen them and establish them in the understanding and experience of Christ's love. He knew that more than anything else, love would enable them to be all God has called them to be. The same is true for us, and thank God we can pray the same prayer Paul prayed for ourselves and for others, for each other. No matter how much we may already know of God's love, there is always more to learn. So every day of our lives, we can boldly ask for and receive an increased revelation of love. Day by day, we can increasingly be filled with more of the fullness of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Reading Limitless Love, 
21st. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to read your word and consider what it's saying to us, Lord. Thank you that you keep us in the eyes, in your eyes, for your glory and your honor, Lord. Do to us, Lord God, that we can't do for ourselves, Lord. Take us to the next level that we may see your glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. March 21st, take a crash course on love. Psalms 35, 27 and 28. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yeah, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified. Let the Lord be magnified. Come on, say it with me. Say, let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. And my tongue shall speak of thy righteousness and of thy praise all the day long. Psalms 35, verses 27 to 28. Some people are dismayed when they find out that faith is what opens the door to, for God to work in their lives. They're upset when they learn that his love can only manifest to the max when they believe his word in their hearts and speak it out with their mouths. I suppose that's because they're not sure they can change. They live so long with doubt in their hearts and unbelief in their lips, they're afraid it would take too long to turn things around. If you had those kinds of thoughts, let me reassure you that your fears are unfounded. You can throw the door of fate open wide, and you can do it speedily by taking what I call a crash course in the love of God. You can throw yourself wholeheartedly into His Word by spending extra time reading and meditating on what the Scripture says about His goodness. You can do what Psalm 35 says and keep those verses continually in your heart and in your mouth. When you're putting dishes in a dishwasher, you can praise Him for His loving kindness. When you're driving to work in your car, you can shout and sing and say, I magnify you, Lord. I magnify you because you take pleasure in my prosperity. I thank you, Lord, for blessing me. I magnify you. I know you can because that's what Ken and I did. When we found out that fate was the way to open the door to God's blessings, we just went for it. The first year we learned about fate, we hardly did anything except read, study, and listen to tapes of the Word. I'm not saying we ignore the responsibilities of life. We worked and took care of our families, but when... We weren't occupied with those duties. We gave ourselves wholly to the Word of God. I got so full of the Word, it just flowed out of me. I remember one time in particular, I was outside hanging clothes on the clothesline and thinking about the Word. The telephone rang, and it was so filled with excitement and faith that when I answered the phone, I said, Hallelujah, instead of hello. You can do the same thing. Instead of barely cracking open the door of faith, throw it wide open. Pull it off its hinges by jumping into the Word with both hands and feet. Take a crash course by filling your heart and your mouth with the Word of God's love. You'll be amazed how quickly things can turn around. Beautiful, beautiful. Let's go ahead and read March 22nd, also by Gloria Copeland. The grace that just won't quit. By grace have you been saved completely in time past with the present result that you are in a state of salvation which persists throughout present time, through present time. Ephesians 2.8, 1 
West translation, W-U-E-S-T. By grace you have been saved completely in times past, with the present result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through present time. Amen. One of the most wonderful things about God's grace, His, His loving favor towards us, is that it just won't quit. It persists to keep us in a constant state of salvation, so it's there for us every time we need it, and we need it all the time. It doesn't come because we earned it or deserved it either. It's there simply because God loves us and He is good. Actually, that's the reason for every blessing God has ever given us. No one has ever deserved God's goodness except the Lord Jesus Himself. Left on our own, the rest of us deserve nothing but judgment and punishment from God. But thank heaven, God didn't leave us on our own. He sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for his sins and to give us his own righteousness. That in itself was the greatest thing grace could ever do for us. And God provided that grace when we were at our very worst. He gave it while we were still spiritually dead and living in sin. But he didn't stop there. As, as Romans 8.32 says, He who spared not his own son but gave him up to die for us will also freely Give us all other things. He'll keep sending His grace and surrounding us with it for eternity. His favor and power will hoover over us 24 hours a day so that all we have to do is reach out by faith and receive whatever we need. Sometimes we think we're waiting on God, but the truth is He is waiting on us. He has already done everything it takes for us to have all our needs met but for His provision and grace to be activated in our lives. We must believe Him for it. That's just the way God's system operates. Take the new birth, for example. God has provided it for every person under the sun. It's available to everyone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A person can be alone in the deepest jungle in Africa. He could be lost and on his way to hell. But the moment he dared to believe in his heart and confess with his mouth that Jesus is a Savior, the grace of God would be there to save him. At that instant, God's power will be released in his life, and he'll be born again. Just think, the same grace is still available to, to us today. It persists in our lives to bring us salvation in every area, spirit, soul, and body. If we would just dare to believe and receive all the the devils in hell can stop the goodness of God from going to work in our lives. Nothing can defeat us as long as we keep on receiving the grace that just won't quit. Amen. Let's keep going. March 23rd, Limitless Love. God is willing and able. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I had made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead and called it those things which be not as though they were. 
who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken so shall thy seed be and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of god through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to god and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform romans chapter 4 16 to 21 gloria copeland when you first begin to hear about the goodness of god and how much he loves you every circumstance in your life may seem to deny it you may be surrounded with such painful situations and dire problems that it looks as if god doesn't care about you at all that's the way it was for me when i first read matthew 6 that god loved me and cured cared about my needs it looked for all the world it looked for all the world like he didn't at that time ken and i were completely broke and deeply in debt we were so poor we couldn't even afford a refrigerator or a stove when i cooked potatoes i boiled them in a coffee pot but even so i didn't argue with the bible it didn't say well god you need to do something to prove you love me before i believe it no, I just decided to trust him and gave him my life. After I was born again, I began to hear that God not only wanted to bless me spiritually, but he wanted to prosper me financially. Although things had gotten better for us, prosperity seemed worlds away. The devil would come to me and say, you're never going to be able to afford a nice home. You, you'll be stuck in this clumsy, dumpy shack forever circumstantially it appeared he was right but i decided to believe god anyway i chose to trust his power and his love i say no devil god loves me and he is willing and able to give me a wonderful home as a result i live in my dream house today no matter what kind of situation you're in today the same thing will happen to you if you dare to believe that god loves you follow the faith of abraham and instead considering your circumstances Choose to consider the loving promises of God. Grow strong in faith. Give praise and glory to Him for His great, great goodness to you. You'll find God is willing and able to make your dreams come true. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. March 18, Gloria Copeland. Limitless love. But God, so rich in his mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to some to come the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his great grace, his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. Woo! Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 7. That's one of the reasons I love reading this word of God through the Copelands. This one's through Gloria Copeland because I get to... Uh, I get to exercise my senses 
in in the beautiful literature, scripture, God's word, the one that Paul wrote. I love the book of Ephesians. I have taken the time to memorize chapters 1, verses 15 through 22. So I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Testament to get a, a easy clarity. I just read it in the Amplified Bible. So uh, I'm going to... So bear with me. Let's go ahead and pray. God, grant us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're telling us in your word. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, give us your, your love today. Amen. Okay, here we go. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor that we have been saved. <clears throat> and so God can always point, a, point to us examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus. Everything the Lord does for us is through Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for living and working through us for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Gloria goes on to say, these verses gives us a staggering glimpse in the greatness of God's love. They reveal that he saved us not only to spare us from hell, but also so he could demonstrate in our lives forever the limitless nature of his love. He did it because he wanted to eternally bless us and demonstrate his goodness to us. Demonstrate his goodness to us. Think about that. God's great desire is to pour out his loving kindness on you. He'll want to demonstrate his love in your family. He wants to demonstrate it in your church. He wants to demonstrate it in your city. He wants his goodness and love to so flood your life that it overflows unto people in the world around you. He wants them to look at you and exclaim, Wow, God really is good. He truly is a God whose love knows no limit. That's the heart of God. That's why he has done all this. He longs to demonstrate his love and mercy. He yearns to express his boundless compassion. What's more, he will always want to do that. Scripture says that for eternity, throughout the ages to come, he'll come on demonstrating his love for us. Traditional religion thought something different. It said that God just wanted to demonstrate that love for a few years while Jesus was on the earth, or until the last of the apostles died, or until the books of Acts was finished. But praise God, that's not what the Bible says. It says he'll keep on demonstrating his love towards us throughout the ages to come. It says God's love will never be satisfied. Woohoo! God is not going to wake up one morning and say, I'm finished pouring out my love. I'm not 
going to heal people anymore. I'm not going to work miracles. I'm just going to let those things pass away. That will never happen. Every day of our lives, God is going to be there desiring to demonstrate his love to you by meeting your needs and blessing you beyond your fondest dreams. Even when your your natural life is over and you step into the next age, God will keep right on sh showing forth his love for you. Throughout eternity, he intends to make you a living demonstration of his immeasurable love. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray on that one. Lord, have your way with us, through us, for, for us. Lord, make yourself a demonstration of your love through us, Lord. Through us, by Christ Jesus, Lord, in working in us. We thank you for that, Lord. Be it unto us according to thy word. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. That was a beautiful reading, folks. That is awesome. March 19th. Moving on. The choice that brings eternal reward. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, it says, If you then, being risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. One reason we stumble in our love walk is because we put too much importance upon the natural things of life. We get irritated and speak unkindly when someone puts a blemish on our favorite piece of furniture. For example, we lash out in anger at someone because they denied our new car, dented our new car. Humanly speaking, that is understandable, but in the economy of God, it is a grave mistake. The reason is simple. The natural things of this world are temporary. A few months or a few years from now, our material possessions will all be gone. The eternal rewards for walking in love, however, will last forever. Reward day. Reward day is coming. Extra, extra, read all about it. A reward day is coming, you know. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10. On that day, the Lord won't be rewarding us for, for how beautiful we care for our furniture. He won't be commending us for the perfect condition of our cars. Those things won't matter a bit. He'll be examining our lives to see how well we kept the one commandment he gave us. He'll be looking to see if we love one another. You'll walk more consistently in love if you constantly keep that in mind. You'll keep your flesh in check if you remember that the life you're living on this earth isn't your only life. It's simply your opportunity to plant seeds for your eternal life to come. And though God will give of the blessing to come, 
they're, they're part of, his, of this fallen creation. And no matter how much time and energy you invest in them, they'll never be perfect. Again, let me read that again. And though God will give you richly all things to enjoy while you're here on this earth, they are all only flawed representations of the blessings to come. They're part of this fallen creation, and no matter how much time and energy you invest in them, they'll never be perfect. <laughs> Did you get that? Beautiful. So don't let natural things overcome you. Don't let them capture your affections. Keep your heart set on God and never, ever treat things more lovingly than you treat people. Remember, People are more important than things. Their feelings are more important than things. When your wife bangs up your pickup truck that you just painted, <laughs> you got to say, thank you, God, for three days, 24 hours a day. So make sure the root of bitterness does not take root in your heart. And just surrender. How do I know that? When you're tempted to do it, Gloria goes on to say, Take authority over your flesh and put it in, the, in its place. Remind yourself that judgment time is coming and make the choice that will bring you eternal rewards. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, would you like one more? How about March 20th? Let's go ahead and do tomorrow's by Gloria Copeland. Love's hundredfold return. That's Mark 10, 28, and 30. Mark chapter 10, verses 28, 29, and 30. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left houses, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution, huh. and in the world to come, eternal life. Amen. What a promise, huh? Whew, that just blows the imagination. Notice that he said right here that you weren't going to get a hundred wives back. Huh. I wonder how, how uh, Solomon found a loophole on that one. He got more than a hundred wives back. Matter of fact, about a thousand wives? I don't know how to remember. Gloria goes on to say, Anyone who has obeyed the, commandment, the command of Jesus to walk in love has discovered that obedience can at times seem costly. Sacrifices will eventually have to be made. There will be occasions when people will take advantage of you. Huh. There will be situations where love requires you to lay down your own rights. There will be times when, because of love, you must take some natural possession you treasured or enjoyed and give it to another who needs it more than you. How do you make those sacrifices without feeling bitter and resentful? How do you avoid the martyr syndrome that will cause you to constantly remind people 
how much you've given up for the sake of love. You do it by joyfully trusting the promise Jesus made in Mark 10.30. You confidently expect the blessing to be activated so richly, your sacrifices pale by comparison, you dare to expect the hundredfold return. In practical terms, that means if love requires you to take the money you save up for a new car and give it to a brother who has no car at all, you rejoice believing that God will provide you with the finances for an even better car than the one you were planning to buy. It means if you choose to walk in love and refuse to fight the co-worker who snatched the promotion that should have been yours, you can happily anticipate or even greater blessing and promotion to come to your direct to you directly from the hand of God. It doesn't matter what seemingly setbacks may come. It doesn't matter how much it may look like you lost at the game of life. If you keep walking in love and believing God, He will see to it that you end up a winner. He will replace what you sacrifice for His sake with something a hundredfold better. Instead of feeling bitter and resentful, you'll end up grateful for the opportunity you had to lay down your life for the master. You'll find that in the best, in the end, walking in love doesn't cost. It pays with riches that last beyond this life and into the life to come. Amen. When we are in service, we double up and get rid of the things that are not serving people. Uh, like our little projects or little things, make room for being of service to the people of God, and that way it won't be a burden. It won't be encumbersome to be to think ahead, prepare ahead. Um, preparation is the key. It used to be um, what it used to be spend eight hours or four hours preparing for a twenty-minute sermon, something like that. You know. Don't just leave it to chance. And it's the same thing with our service work. If we have a commitment, spend a few hours doing the preparation ahead of time so you got it down packed that it will be easy to pick up when the time comes to do the service work. And praying for the individuals ahead of time too that they will see, uh, they will see greatness and glory and honor by seeing Jesus inside of us as we do service work. As we pray for our neighbors, we, you know, we pray ahead of them so we won't dog them. Anyway, God bless you. Take care. Give them heaven. Enjoy this day, this, this podcast. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening. And I pray for your souls that will prosper, that your souls that will be healthy, and your souls that will be happy with laughter and joy. In the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, amen.
Hello family, welcome to today's reading. We're going to be reading Limitless Love of Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. We're playing catch up here. I believe we have... I don't know where I left off. I think we left off at 13. We got 9, 10, 11, and 12 to read. Okay, let's go with that. 9, March 9, 10th, 11, and 12. Here we go. Limitless love. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today's reading. Thank you for the people listening. Thank you for the Bible College, the continuous word that we get in, in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you for loving on us, carrying us through, and making us just like you, Father. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, growing in our hearts. Amen. This is Gloria Copeland. God can work it out. Romans 8.28, the Amplified Bible. We are assured and know that God, being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good. Good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Amplified Bible. Romans 8.28 We are assured and know that all things work together and are for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We wait for that design and that purpose. There are times, all of us, when our lives seem to have no clear plan or direction, but even then, if we love the Lord and give ourselves to Him, we can be assured He is working out His great and loving plan for us. We can rejoice over that plan even before we see it, knowing that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, Ephesians 3.20. I can personally testify that's the truth. When I was 19, I could not have had the highest, slightest clue about what God wanted me to do in my life. It was beyond anything I could imagine. Back then, the biggest dream I had was being an airline stewardess. Even after God began to reveal his plan to Ken and me, telling us that we were going to preach to nations, we couldn't see how it could happen. But God made it happen. Nonetheless, as we follow him, by faith, one step at a time. Those two words, by faith, are very important. You have to believe God loves you and has a plan for you, or you'll never be able to work in it. You'll constantly be worrying and wavering, and that will hinder your receiving the wisdom you need from the Lord. How can you get the faith to believe God can work it out, His plan for you? Just read the Bible. It will show you what a wonderful planner God actually is. You'll see that ever since creation, he has worked on a timetable. He has had certain events scheduled, and those events always take place at the appointed time. The Bible proves that God never fails and he never is late. 
In Genesis 15, verses 13 to 14, for example, God promises to bring the Israelites out of Egypt after 400 years. Scholars tell us that God kept that timetable to the day when the Jewish nation went into captivity in Babylon during Jeremiah's day, God had already planned their deliverance. He told them that after 70 years, he would bring them back to their own land, and that's exactly what he said, or what he did. Jesus was born at the appointed time. He's coming back at the appointed time, and he won't be late. When it comes to the plan of redemption, the Almighty God is always right on time. In light of those facts, consider this. The same good God who planned those events is the one who lovingly planned your life. Based on his track record, I believe he has the power to carry out that plan, don't you? God always has a plan. March 10th, Gloria Copeland. If any of you, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask a God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James 1.5 God's love is so great and so full of mercy that even if you disobey him and get off course, he will be there to help you to get back on track. He will forgive you and give you another chance to fulfill his divine plan for you. Even if you act like a rascal, which I strongly warn you not to do, because it will cause you painful regret, God will receive you the moment you repent and reach out to him. He won't say, now you just wait a minute, buddy. I think I'm going to watch you for a while and see if you're really sincere about this before I start blessing you. No, God knows your heart and it is earnestly turned toward him. He's immediately start pumping his goodness back into your life. If like the prodigal son, you will go home to the father, his mercy will be right there to greet you. He'll say, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. He'll put a robe of righteousness on your back and a family ring on your ring finger because he's so loving and good. What's more, no matter how much trouble and, and hell you've gotten yourself into, God will have a plan to get you out. He'll start moving you back into the original design he had for your life. One morning when we were overseas preaching, I woke up and heard these words in my heart. God always has a plan. Isn't that wonderful? Even when our own natural minds, things seem hopeless. With God, there's always hope. With God, we always have a good future ahead of us. Granted, if you've gotten yourself into trouble by Disregarding his commands, it might take time for God to lead you completely out of it, and you will have to get some wisdom from him to make the necessary changes. But you can be assured that when you come to him for his wisdom and help, he'll never upbraid you. He'll never condemn and criticize you. He won't even talk badly to you. He'll receive you and give you what you need to get back on the road to your divine destiny right there and there. Once you understand just how good that destiny really is, you won't ever want to walk away from it again. You'll stick close to the Lord because you won't want to miss a single thing He has in store for you. You'll wholeheartedly finish the race He has set before you. 
knowing that you will hear him say, well done, at the end of your journey, you will walk in the light of his love every step of the way. March 11, God's favorites. This is Gloria. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor will thou compass them as with a shield. Psalms 5, 11 and 12. Again, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor will thou compass them as with a shield. And the word favor here is earthly success. Okay, Nothing missing, nothing broken. Now we need to put our trust in the Lord and rejoice and shout for joy because the Lord is defending us from the evil one, from other factors and situations that might hurt us or our family. We need to rejoice and act in faith and be joyful and love his name. For the Lord will bless the righteous with favor will thou compass him as with a shield. The Bible uses many different words to describe the love of God has for us. And one of the most wonderful words is favor. To favor someone means to take pleasure and delight in them, to enjoy doing good for them, to prefer them over others. Did you know that as a born-again child of God, you are one of his favorites? He doesn't just tolerate you. He doesn't just put up with you. He takes pleasure and delights in you. He enjoys doing good things for you. He prefers you over the animals. He prefers you over anything else in his created universe. He even prefers you over angels. See Hebrews 2.16. He doesn't just favor you now and then or here and there either. No, as long as you're walking in fellowship with him, his favor surrounds you all the time, everywhere you go, 24 hours a day. His favor. You ought to wake up in the morning thinking about that. You ought to not get up dredging the day, talking about all the bad things that might take place. You should cultivate the habit of saying things like, Everywhere I go, God favors me. Everywhere I go, good things are happening to me. The blessings is overtaking me today. I am a winner because one of I am one of God's favorites. The more you say it, the more you'll believe it. And the more you believe it, the more God's favor you'll be able to receive. So even if it seems strange, at first keep talking. Talk to yourself about how much God loves and favors you. Talk to the Lord about it. Bless him when you receive his love. Talk to the devil about it when he comes to tell you God doesn't care about you. And he's not going to do good things for you. The evil will tell you that. You know he'll tell you that God won't heal you. He'll tell you that God doesn't want to meet your needs. He'll tell you that God doesn't love you and no one else does either. At times, circumstances might even make it look like he's right. But don't agree with him. 
shut him up and put him in his place by speaking the word. Say, hey, Mr. Devil, you're just jealous because I am one of God's favorites and you're not. You're just mad because he takes to such pleasure and blessing and prospering me. Before you know it, you'll be shouting and rejoicing just like the Bible says you should. The devil will flee and you'll see, see great realities of God favor surrounding you. Amen. And our last one is March 12th. Freed by his favor. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciliating the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Even though the Bible plainly says that we are God's favorite, some Christians have trouble believing it because they are plagued by memories of things which they're done wrong. They think about mistakes they made or sins they committed. How could God take delight in me? They wondered how could it be as, as a holy God take pleasure in a sinner who's acted in the unholy ways that I have. He can do it because he doesn't see us as sinners anymore. He doesn't see us as sinners anymore. The moment we trust in Jesus and take him as our Lord, God washes away our past with the blood of Jesus and replaces our sinfulness with his own righteousness. From that moment on, he considers us his very own children, which we truly are. And because we are his beloved children, he favors us. Years ago, Ken and I received a letter from a man whose life proved just how true that is. He had been a hardening a criminal who had spent many years in prison for molesting children. But of 70 years old, while watching one of our television programs, he asked Jesus to save him and he was born again. During the following months, he kept watching the broadcast and reading the Bible, learning everything he could because he was so hungry for God. He worked to give. He worked to give testimony of what the Lord has done for him. So he worked. Amen. So he wrote the judge who had sent him and told him what had happened. Although he didn't ask for anything, the judge was so moved by the letter, he helped to cut short the man's prison sentence within just a few months. That 70-year-old inmate who had spent most of his life inside prison, then out, was finally free. Why? Because of the favor of God. Remember that story if you're, if you're ever tempted to think you've done something bad. You're forever lost your place as one of God's favorites. Favor. Remember, there's nothing you can do that's stronger than his love. So it is far reaching that no matter how far we stray, 
the moment we call on his name, he is there to forgive us, change us, and put us back where we as his children belong, in the midst of the favor of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Thank you for coming in. Reading from Limitless Love, March 13th, A Loving Heart and an Open Hand. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Joel 2.13, Gloria Copeland. Over and over again, the scripture tells us that God is gracious, but too often we miss the fullness of what, what really means, what that means. A person who is gracious is someone who is inclined to do what you want them to do. They're disposed to show favors to those who ask them. They are, as James 3.17 says, easy to be entreated. My grandfather was like that. All the children in my family call him Pop, and we dearly love him because <clears throat> he so enjoyed being good to us. If we ask him for money, he'd dig into his pockets and give us whatever he had. He taught us all how to drive and then let us take his pickup to town, even before we had our driver's license. As long as he knew it wouldn't hurt us, he let us do whatever we wanted to do. My grandmother wasn't as much that way. She often tried to stop him, but she didn't have much success. Despite her protests, he usually ended up giving us whatever we asked for because he couldn't help it. That was just his nature. God is much the same way. It's not difficult to get him to do what we want. On the contrary, he likes to say yes to us. He is disposed to show us favor. You know how some people have hobbies like fishing or golf, and they're always looking for opportunities to do these things. You might say that God's hobby is doing good things for his children. He is continually watching for opportunities to bless us and give the what we want. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 and 13 says, For a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, is the gift of God. God wants to give good gifts to his people. It's what he loves and enjoys so much, so that one of the Hebrew titles for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah the Good. That's why we can boldly go before his throne to, of grace to receive what we need from him. That's why we can go in faith and not in fear. We don't have a heavenly father who's hardened and tight-fisted. We have a father who is easily entreated, who greets us with a loving heart and an open hand. We have a father who loves us who loves to be good to us. Amen. March 14, Limitless Love. Receive God's bounty for goodness. Gloria Copeland. I have trusted in the mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalms 13, 5 and 6. I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, 
because he has dealt bountifully with me. In the Bible, the word mercy and the word love are almost always interchangeable because they come from the same Hebrew word. Therefore, every time God assures us that he loves us, he is also reassuring us of his mercy toward us. He's letting us know that in spite of our mistakes and our failures, he wants to deal kindly and bountifully with us. Most religions, even those based on Christianity, have portrayed a totally different picture of God. Long-faced, angry preachers have often represented God as mad at the whole human race and looking furiously for someone to punish. They give people the impression God is in a bad mood, so you have to be very careful around him because you don't want to imitate him any further. One country western singer even wrote a song along those lines that the radio station played some years ago. He titled it, God's Gonna Get Ya for That. If those kinds of traditions have made you weary of God, you need to know that the Bible doesn't teach any of those things. It doesn't reveal a God who is out to get us or do us harm in any way. The Bible doesn't say anything about God being in a bad mood. On the contrary, it says that God is gracious. He is always in a favorable mood. You don't have to worry about catching God on a bad day. He doesn't have those kind of days. His mercy endures forever. Of course, it's not just Christian tradition that has depicted God as angry and vindicate. The gods of the heathen religions are that way too. The difference is that's an accurate picture of them because they're not gods at all. They're dynamic spirits, demonic. People who worship demons, gods throughout history often believe they had to hurt themselves or someone they love in some way in order to appease the gods of anger. Although other pagan gods were not so harsh, they all needed something, offering a fruit of, or gift of some kind to make them happy. But our God isn't like that. He's already happy. We don't have to be do penance or make sacrifices to appease him. He provides the sacrifice for sin himself in the person of his son. When we receive that sacrifice in simple faith, we open the way to for God to do what he always wanted. We open the way for him to have mercy upon us, deal bondingly with us, and bring us peace on earth. Goodwill toward man. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Glory unto the Father. March 15th. Gloria Copeland. A law inspired by love. Deuteronomy 7, 11-13. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and thy statutes and the judgment which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. Woo! That the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and will bless thee, and multiply thee. 
I didn't go to church, says Gloria, much when I was growing up. I tried, but I just wasn't very good at it. On the occasions I did make it to church, it seemed that all I heard were the things God said we shouldn't be doing. As I recall, no one said anything about God's love, so I just pictured him as a rulemaker who didn't want me to have much fun. I know now that I wasn't alone in the misconception. Many good Bible-reading folks have seen the list of laws God gave in the Old Testament and assume he gave them to people because he is harsh and demanding, but nothing could be further from the truth. The fact is, at that time in history, God was faced with a dilemma. Through man's disobedience, the devil had gained license to operate on the earth. Adam and Eve had opened the door for him to impose his will on mankind. He's been released to kill, steal, and destroy. The entire human race had fallen under the curse of sin, and God wanted to provide them with a way out. In spite of the rebellion, he still loved them and wanted to give them a way to step back under his protective wings so he could shelter, protect, provide for them once again. That's why he gave them the law. Old covenant law was truly an amazing thing. It provided spiritual commands such as, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That, that if obeyed would keep people from being dominated and hurt by demonic forces. Other commands such as, Thou shalt not kill, kept people from being hurt and dominated by each other. Levitical law also provides instructions that enable them to live safely in the physical world, which had been corrupted by sin. History reveals the laws God gave about such things as hand-washing, purification, and food often protected God's people from sickness and disease that destroyed other nations. For those times when they did fall prey to sickness, God provided commands they could follow and gave them priests so they could receive their healing from him. Through it all, God spoke to them about the coming redemption that would be provided through the blood of Jesus. He gave them the promise of the spiritual deliverance that was to come. Why? Because even then, God was, as he still is now, a good God, one who makes a way for people of every place and time to step into the blessing even if he was the even then he was the god of love the god of love march 16 he is still our savior gloria copeland matthew 14 14 and jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them and he healed their sick Warm feelings and sympathetic emotions are fine. We all appreciate it when we're in need and someone is warm and sympathetic towards us. But we appreciate it even more when those emotions motivate that person to actually reach out and help us. That's why the compassion of God is so wonderful. It's not just a positive feeling. It's not just an emotion. He has that makes him feel sorry for us when we're running, hurting. No, the very word compassion is used in the Bible 
is an active word. It's a word that describes a deep and eager yearning that compels God to move on our behalf. We see the fact clearly demonstrated in the life of Jesus. The scriptures repeatedly tells us he was moved with compassion. Interestingly enough, the story never stops there. And verily, when the compassion of God moves in Jesus, a need was met. Compassion compelled him to feed hungry multitudes, heal the sick, cast out devils, and even raise the dead. That's the kind of compassion God has for you. It's the kind of compelling love that so yearned for you to be free and well and blessed. It moves God to send his only begotten son to die for you. It moved him to send Jesus to bear your sickness, disease, and sins, to take your punishment so you could be made whole in every way. God's compassion compel him to pay a staggering price so you could have righteousness for your spirit, peace for your soul, and help for your body. I know he did that, you might say, but he did it for the whole world, not just for me. World was true, that's true, but his compassion is so personal and so strong that if you've been the only one in the world who was willing to receive it, God will still have sent Jesus to the cross just for you. A few years ago, Ken and I were taping a Christmas broadcast. I was think, thinking along these lines about the love of God. And as we, we, we gave the invitation, the Holy Spirit spoke these words in my heart. You are not in the world without a Savior. Obviously, that was the good news for us when we were sinners, needed to be born again. But the fact is, it's still good news for us today. Jesus is still as much our Savior as he has ever was. When we call on him in faith, the compassion of God, we still more, the compassion of God will, will still move through him in our lives to heal us, deliver us, and help us. Compassion is still compelling him to meet our every need. And we'll go ahead and stop there. Thank you very much. God bless you. Keep coming back.